four texts that uh, support our sermon today. Our sermon today will be given by an elder from Redeeming Grace. His name is Kevin Gadin. Welcome, Kevin. We are so glad you're here in God's providence. It is a blessing to, to have you preaching to us today. I'm excited for you to hear uh, what God has been uh, bringing to Kevin's heart and mind as he studies the book of Genesis. Um, so Genesis will be our first scripture reading. That'll be the main text of Kevin's sermon. Listen to an interaction about names in the text and consider as it's read, what do the names have to do with the, the themes or the, the, or the narrative or the story behind uh, what we're hearing? So listen to names in the text. And then Abby's going to read to us, that Pat's going to read us from Genesis, and then Abby's going to read to us from Hosea. Hosea comments briefly in passing about this interaction uh, that we're going to read. And so you can just hear a little bit more about what the emotion behind that interaction was like. And Don's going to read to us from Psalm 119. As you know, Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. It's a psalm just expounding the glories of the Word of God. There's going to be two verses that are extremely similar within that reading. So listen for two verses that sound almost the same. And then James is going to finish up our scripture readings. And James, uh, James is going to encourage us to approach God in a particular way. So listen to how James tells us we should approach the God who is high and lifted up. What should our response be when we come to him? All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's bend our hearts and our ears towards the word of God. Pat, would you come and uh, read for us? And as Pat comes, I'm just going to pray again. Lord, Holy Spirit, we, we invite you right now. Lord, open the ears that uh, we have uh, spiritually because of Christ. Open the eyes that we have spiritually because of Christ. Um, Lord, Lord, help us to see wonderful things in your word. And would you bless Kevin as he comes to preach to us. Lord, fill him with your spirit. Fill him with your thoughts, God, that he would declare the, the beauty and the majesty and the glory of your truth and change us, God, as we hear. Lord, give us, give us lives that listen. Give us lives that obey in response to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with, striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. 
The Lord has an indictment against Judah and, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Psalm 119, 65 through 72. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolence smear me with lies, but my whole heart, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your, your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's welcome Kevin as he comes to preach to us. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Good morning. morning. Greetings from the down the road in Pittsburgh. (laughs) It is a uh, privilege for me to be here and have the opportunity to open God's word and to worship with you this morning and to praise God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, the love and the mercy that he's shown to us who don't deserve it. And we have an opportunity here to come and hear his word and to worship him. And I just pray that that as I preach, I would fade into the background and, and you would you would see Christ this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have this morning to hear your word. It is a privilege that we can do so. Lord, and we pray that we would leave here this morning not just informed by your word, but transformed by your word. Grant to us, Lord, that we would be convicted and encouraged by your truth and the love that you've shown in Jesus Christ, whom you sent to die for us and raised him so that we might know that the hope of our own resurrection and glorification is secure through our faith in him. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for his glory forever. Amen. So a while ago, I purchased a a workbench for my garage. And it was one of these deals where 
all the pieces were in the box and then you had to take it home and take everything out and, and assemble it, put it together for yourself. I'm sure you've seen things like that. And uh, inside the box were all the pieces, but also an instruction sheet. And so what this sheet did was step-by-step, it had explanations about what you were supposed to do and how to put this thing together. And the idea was that at the end of following all of those explanations, you would have something that in some way resembles what you thought you were purchasing. In this case, however, those instructions were not easy to understand. Uh, Some of them were, but some of them, I really wasn't sure what they were asking me to do. Um, I'm quite certain that English was not the first language of the person who wrote these instructions. So they were generally helpful, but... um, there were points where it just wasn't clear as to what we needed to do. Um, so in some ways, um, if you had just tried to follow the instructions, I'm not sure it would have worked out. But thankfully, in addition to the explanations, there was an illustration for each step, right? There was a picture of what it should look like. And in some cases, there was a picture with a big X through it, like, don't do this. This isn't what you want to do. It'll lead you the wrong way. And so between the explanations and the illustrations, I had a much better understanding of what this process should look like. And that's sort of how the Bible often works as well. There are large chunks of the Scripture that are explanation. They're, They're teaching about God and about us and about Christ and who He is and what He's done and His character. But there's also a lot of Scripture that's not necessarily explaining that so much as illustrating it. You know, most of the scripture's narrative. And so as you read that, what you're seeing is a picture of what it looks like when God works in someone's life, or they're obedient, or they're not obedient, like those pictures with the big X, don't do this. This is, a, this is the wrong uh, decision. And so when we come to the scripture... God in his mercy has given us both explanations, which are sometimes difficult to understand, but also these illustrations and these pictures. And I think that's what we have in the text that we're going to look at this morning. We have a picture of what it looks like when God is working in the life of someone whom he is calling. And and, uh, this picture illustrates uh, a key theme that runs throughout the scripture, which we've beautifully looked at already in in the readings this morning. And what it illustrates is that when God goes to work on our hearts, when he gets a hold of someone who he's preparing to use mightily, he first humbles them. This is the pattern. God breaks us down to rebuild us. He shatters our self-dependence so that we come to a point where we cling to him as our only hope. And so spiritual brokenness precedes spiritual blessing. And that's really the main point of the message this morning. Spiritual brokenness precedes spiritual blessing. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We will begin in verse thirty or verse twenty-two, rather. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're looking at Jacob here. That same night, verse 
22, that same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said to Jacob, then, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is a very strange story. Isn't this a strange story? What in the world is going on here? Um, It might help to have a little bit of context to set this up. So this narrative interrupts a much larger story about Jacob returning home. It's it's sort of abruptly just pops up really in the middle of this story of Jacob returning home. Now you may remember that Jacob is the younger brother, younger twin brother of Esau. And uh, they're the son of Isaac. And so their grandfather was Abraham. So Jacob, therefore, was in a line of blessing. He's in a line that's to receive these promised blessings from God. But he was also a man who wanted as much as he could get and wasn't content to really just wait around for God to keep these promises. Uh, Jacob was always looking for an advantage. Uh, He was the kind of person, if, if you were going to do some business with Jacob, you really better read the fine print before you sign off on that that agreement, because he was constantly scheming his whole life. And unfortunately, his brother Esau was often the victim of these these schemes that Jacob would come up with. Some years earlier, Jacob had actually taken advantage of Esau's circumstances to uh, take away some of his inheritance as the as the older brother, Esau was the older brother, and Jacob tricked him, kind of tricked him, used his circumstances to to get some blessings away from him that he would have inherited. And if that wasn't bad enough, he even went further later on and used outright deception to steal the blessing that his brother was going to receive from his father. So not only does he con him out of his birthright, But he lied so that he could receive the blessings that really um, his brother was going to receive. And I can imagine there probably were a lot of other circumstances we don't even see in the scripture between these two brothers. You know how it is with brothers if you have one. But 
for Esau, this is the last straw. And so Esau is very upset. He's outraged and he vows to kill Jacob. When he hears of what happens, he said, the next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. And Jacob knows he's serious. So he actually leaves town. He takes off and goes away to another country and he's gone for 20 years. And during that time, while Jacob is gone, the scripture records some of what he's doing and we see him continuing his pattern, constantly scheming, constantly trying to trick others or outsmart or outmaneuver others in order to get more for himself. And then finally, after about 20 years, an angel comes to Jacob and says, it's time to return home. It's time to go home. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 32. Jacob's returning home. And he hears that his brother is coming to see him with 400 men. Now remember, the last time he heard from his brother, his brother said, when I see you again, I'm going to kill you. And so what does he hear? Here comes Esau with 400 men. Jacob is a little nervous about this, right? And so he sends gifts ahead to try to appease his brother. And then uh, he sends, he sends uh, the rest of his camp to the other side of the river. He separates from them. And so um, we pick this up in, in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So maybe Jacob was thinking if Esau really was coming to harm them, he was going to protect his family and he separates from the camp. And we're not really sure exactly what his motivation is, but the result is that Jacob is all alone on the bank of this stream in the evening. And then verse 24, and Jacob was left alone And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. What? What? Wait a minute. What just happened here? This guy appears out of nowhere in the text. Like Jacob's all alone. Then there's this guy wrestling with him. Like out of nowhere, no context, no buildup. Just guys just there. And I can imagine what's going on in Jacob's mind, right? His nerves are on edge. He's not sure if his brother with a small army is coming to kill him. He's trying to protect his family, but he sent them off. He's all by himself. It's getting dark. And the next thing you know, here comes this guy grabbing a hold of him. Like, what is going on? This has got to be a very uh, disconcerting moment for Jacob. What is happening here? Here comes this guy charging at him, grabbing a hold of him. Strange. And you know, we think about today, we, when you hear about wrestling, we, we tend to think about wrestling as sort of entertainment or sport, right? But you got to understand wrestling in the ancient world was a serious, serious business. I mean, think about it. For one thing, there was no urgent care. You know, there was no med express down the road. If you got hurt, you're probably going to die out there in the wilderness. And so, it's often, wrestling in the ancient world was often a life or death contest. It was a very serious thing. And Jacob can't really run away because if he goes in one direction, he's going to hit Esau. If he goes the other direction, he's going to be back with his family, which he had some reason. He wanted to put some distance there. He can't go back to where he came from because his uncle's upset with him. And he's, he's pretty much stuck here. And this guy just, you know, pounces on him. And so uh, he he's... He's kind of stuck. 
So here's what happens. This guy comes and grabs him. The text just says he, he's wrestling with him. And it says that he wrestled with him until the break of the dawn. Now, Jacob's a stubborn guy, right? He, this guy grabs onto him, but he's, he's not somebody that's going to let somebody get one over on him. He's, he hangs in there, right? He's giving it all he's got. And um, he struggles all night. We don't know how long this went on. Could have went on for, for hours, but... You know, the average street fight lasts less than a minute. And even a long street fight is less than two minutes typically because it requires a tremendous amount of energy to grapple with somebody, especially when you're taken off guard like that and you're fighting for your life uh, and you get that adrenaline rush and it starts to come off after, I mean, unless you're in really good shape after a minute or two, you're, you're pretty well spent. So Jacob, this is impressive. I mean, he's hanging in there. He's hanging in there. And um, we can see his determination here to struggle with this guy. Verse 25 says that when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Well, the first thing we should understand is at this point, it's kind of over. Right At this point, there's really no way for Jacob to win the wrestling match, to impose his will on this man. If you, if you don't have leverage from your legs, you really can't use your upper body strength very well. In fact, even to throw a punch with any power really begins in your legs. So here he is hobbled with a touch. And so um, Jacob, I think, realizes at this point, this guy... This isn't just some ordinary guy. I mean, it's very clear that although he's been putting up a good fight, that at any moment the man chose to, he could overcome Jacob. I mean, it's sort of like a little bit of a message, right? Just a touch. All night they're wrestling. And then when he decides to reveal a little bit more of his power, just a touch. And Jacob becomes immediately aware of his weakness. I mean, the man obviously had the power to destroy Jacob if that would have been his intention. But that's not what he does. He doesn't destroy him, although he does hurt him. So we see now that this struggle that Jacob is engaged in is a struggle of grace. It's clearly the grace and mercy of this stranger that makes it possible for Jacob to hang in there. And when the time comes... For the man to make his point, he does. So there's, there's no hope. This is the key thing. There's no hope at this point for Jacob using his own strength and his own strategy to overcome this man. He, he can't impose his will uh, in the way that he's done to everybody else that he's encountered in his life. And so then we pick up back in verse 26. They're wrestling. He touches the sip. And then, he, then it says in verse 26, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. <clears throat> now scholars debate why the man wanted to be let go as the sun was coming up. I, let me just say, I don't think it was for the man's sake. I think it was for Jacob's sake. Um, but Jacob doesn't want to let him go. Jacob refuses, in fact, to let him go. Because Jacob understands at this point, this is no mere man that he's wrestling with. His entire life, 
He's been scheming and plotting to obtain blessings from God. He's relied upon his intelligence, his smarts, his strength, and his strategy at every turn to get what he wants. And what he wants more than anything else is to receive the promises and the blessings that he knows have been uh, given by God. He's overcome everybody that he's met and come out ahead. And he finally meets somebody who's humbled him. He's been humbled physically, at least. His hip's out of joint. He can barely stand up. He's exhausted. I mean, they've been going at this for however long. He can't obtain the blessing through his own strength. All he can do is cling as tightly as possible to the man and hope by his grace to receive this blessing. And Hosea 12.4, as we saw, says that Jacob was in tears and pleading for this blessing. He knows he's just, his only hope is to just hang on and ask, and he's got tears in his eyes, hanging on with everything he's got, saying, bless me. Jacob recognizes that uh, this is no man. Verse 24 says a man wrestled with him. But we can see this man has superhuman strength from the touch. Hosea refers to the man as the angel of the Lord. Later in verse 30, Jacob says that he's seen God face to face. And in verse 28, the man, uh, verse 28, the man says Jacob has striven with God. So Jacob here meets a figure who's a man, who is God. He's not simply an angel, but he's the angel of the Lord. There's only one figure in all of scripture that meets these descriptions. Later, Jacob asks the man what his name is, and he does not get it. But we know who it is. We know who this is. It's the pre-incarnate son of God who Jacob meets on the banks of the Jabbok. It's the Lord that Jacob is clinging to and begging for a blessing. And through his tears, Jacob realizes there's no way he can obtain this under his own strength. And so he holds on as tightly as he can and hopes for grace. Jacob earnestly desires this blessing and he refuses to let go until he gets it. No matter how difficult it is, his only hope is to hang on to the Lord. He pleads for a blessing in verse 27. Bless me. I don't want to let go until you bless me. And the man says, what is your name? What is your name? This man does not ask Jacob what his name is because he needs the information. This is not the first time Jacob's been asked this question. Do you remember the story? Let me remind you. Genesis 27, 18 through 24 says, so he went into his father, Jacob. He went into his father and said, my father, And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat some of my game that your soul may bless me. 
But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come here that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, as he put furs on his hands. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. After Esau finds out about this, he cries out, is he not rightly named Jacob? So why does this man ask Jacob what his name is? And why would Esau say, yeah, he's, that's who he is. Jacob is not he rightly named Jacob. Here is Jacob. His whole life has been scheming and deceiving and tricking to obtain blessing. And God had already promised to bless him, but he wasn't, he wasn't going to wait. He's going to do it in his own strength, in his own intelligence, with his own resources. But now here he is weakened, and he realizes he cannot force a blessing out of the man. All he can do is hang on. And we see his determination saying he won't let go. And then the Lord says to him, who are you? Who are you really? What is your name? What is your identity? Earlier, Jacob had lied about who he was. But now for the first time, if he wants to receive this blessing, he has to come to terms for the, maybe the first time in his life with who he is. Do you know what the word Jacob means? You remember what the word Jacob means? It means usurper. It means one who takes what is not theirs. It means deceiver. It means one who struggles with those around them. And this man says, who are you? No tricks, no subtlety. Jacob wants the blessing he has to confess who he is. I'm a usurper. I'm one who takes blessings that I don't deserve and weren't mine. I'm one who struggles with everyone around me. He has to say that. And it's at this point that we see the pattern that I was talking about earlier most clearly. Because once Jacob has been weakened physically, weakened and having humbled and having to admit who he really is. It's then that Jacob receives the blessing. Verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob receives a new name. He receives a new identity. He's no longer the usurper or the deceiver. No longer the one who struggles constantly in his own power and his own wisdom to receive a blessing. Now he is Israel. The word Israel means mighty with God, prince of God. 
the one who strives with God. Jacob receives a victory of grace. He didn't pin his opponent. He wasn't able to force this blessing. He has enough faith, though, to hang on and confess and humble himself. And at that moment, when he is broken, exposed, and humbled, it's in that moment that he receives the blessing when his only option was to cling to the Lord. That's the way it is with us, brothers and sisters. How much are you trying to do with your own smarts, your own strength, your own strategy? You know, Jacob was blessed all his life. You know, it looked from the outside like he was being pretty successful. But it's not until here, when he's broken, when, when clinging to the Lord is his only option, that he truly receives the blessing that he sought. Now, Jacob, being Jacob, he wants all he could get. He says, well, please tell me your name. <laughs> but uh, the man says, why is it you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So he, uh, the Lord chooses not to reveal his name to Jacob at this point. Um, he gives grace to who he wills. And uh, God is not a means to an end. He's not content to deal with us as his equals. It's not, okay, I gave you something, now you give me something. It doesn't work that way. God is sovereign and has his own plans about how and with whom and when he will reveal himself. So Jacob receives a blessing, but he won't have every question answered. You see that? He's, he doesn't get everything clarified for him at this moment. He needs to accept that God's grace is sufficient for him. And it will be later, actually, when God calls his descendants out of Egypt that God will reveal his name to Moses. And then, even later yet, God will perfectly reveal himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When I was a younger Christian, I used to think about these Old Testament stories and wish like I could be there. Like, what would it be like to be there with Moses when the Red Sea parted? Or, or be there with Elijah when the fire consumed the altar? Like, you know, how come he doesn't do stuff like that now? How come I, I want to see stuff like that? I would imagine how amazing it would be. But you know, the older I get and the longer I walk with the Lord, the better I understand what a privilege it is to live now, to be here now. Because we have, brothers and sisters, what they yearned for. We have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all these other acts of redemption are mere shadows and pointers to the most glorious of all the redemptions that God had promised, which is the redemption of sinners by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells the leaders of his day, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And later, 
Peter says of the Old Testament prophets, listen to this. If you think about the blessings you have, listen to this. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. What an amazing privilege we have to live in the time when the gospel is freely preached and the Holy Spirit is poured out among men. So the time hadn't come yet for Christ to fully reveal himself when Jacob asks. But Jacob does recognize that it was God who showed him mercy. Look at verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. See, Jacob, like most ancient people, understood that for a sinner to see God meant death. In our day, there are a lot of people who talk about seeking God. But through most of history, people did not seek God. They wanted to appease God. They wanted to do something to appease him. They really didn't want him to visit. Like they didn't want him to show up uh, with good reason because they understood that to come in the presence of a holy God as a sinner would mean the end of them. It'd be a terrifying experience. And unfortunately today in our culture, we've lost that reverence for God. I feel sadly uh, that many people who think they want to meet God really don't, really wouldn't want to. And and that should give us an urgency about the message we preach because they will meet God. You and I will stand before him and so will every other person. And if we don't come before him in Christ, it, it won't be a pleasant experience. And they don't understand that. So we have to share that with them. But God is loving and merciful. And in this passage, we see this gospel logic pattern that to bless Jacob and keep his promises, the Lord came in weakness. God wins by losing. You see that in this picture and it points us to the gospel. He allows Jacob to prevail. He could have easily overcome him, but he humbles himself. The Lord humbles himself to provide a blessing to the one who did not earn it. And in doing this, he opens Jacob's eyes to his own weakness and need and his dependence upon God's mercy to receive the blessing. But it also points us to his power points us to Jesus Christ who also left the glory of heaven and came in weakness in the form of a man to bring a promised blessing to us. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, was crucified to pay the penalty for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. And three days later, after dying on the cross and being buried, he was raised from the dead, demonstrating that that payment was accepted that he has the power over sin and death and that we can trust that all those who are united to him in faith will be raised as well. 
We need to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Clinging to him like Jacob. Clinging to him in the story. We can't wrestle a blessing from God through our own strength because we're hobbled by sin. We don't deserve anything from God, much less salvation. And we have no power to earn it. Yet he promises to make us heirs of his kingdom and to adopt us as sons and daughters if we humble ourselves and trust in him alone as our righteousness. That's our only hope. Come to Christ and never let go. Cling to him like Jacob with tears in your eyes, if necessary. By giving up everything, we gain eternity. And if you come by faith, he promises to never forsake you. There's more love in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. So confess it and come to him for healing. So this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I urge you to humble yourself now while salvation is being offered. Humble yourself. Confess who you are and cling to him and you will receive the blessings that he offers. Maybe you're already a believer. I rejoice in that. But maybe you're going through something today that is difficult right now. And painful. Maybe the Lord is humbling you right now this morning. There's some trouble in your life that's confusing, difficult to understand. What possibly could God's purpose be in this set of circumstances? I want you to know there's wisdom here for you as well. The Lord's not forgotten you. The Lord isn't bringing pain and difficulty in your life to hurt you. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That doesn't mean it's easy. In the same way that surgery is performed to make us healthier, but often involves pain, so it is with the spiritual surgery that the Lord does in our hearts. So if you're a believer, any pain that you're experiencing is the pain of healing. It's the pain of recovery, spiritually speaking. It's the result of God's care for you. And it's designed to bring you closer to him and more like Christ. Our Lord knows what it is to suffer and he's with you. Desire him enough to cling to him through the brokenness like we saw Jacob do. And you will receive the blessing. You know, the theologian A.W. Tozer once said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly unless he has hurt him deeply. If God is working in you to show you your dependence upon him, that's a blessing. It means that he loves you and that he has plans to use you. The the touch that brings brokenness and humility brings blessing and joy as well. Look at verse 11, or 31, sorry, verse 31. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Jacob was changed by this encounter. 
I don't think it was just a momentary experience where a few days he had this emotional high either. Uh, He was forever marked by having met the Lord. He likely limped the rest of his life. When we began this narrative, we were looking at Jacob, and he thought his biggest problems were all external, right? What was he worried about? He was worried about Esau. In reality, he should have been more worried about his own heart. He was afraid of Esau when he should have been afraid of the Lord. His whole life, he'd been successful outsmarting and outmaneuvering everybody else to get ahead. He could always figure it out when he encountered a problem. God showed Jacob, though, that it's only through humbling himself that he could receive God's favor. God's brokenness in Jacob's life helped him to understand his utter dependence upon God and his trust in God. And we see the rest of Jacob's life a different man. He's changed by this encounter. We too, if we've met the Lord, should, be, should have evidence of those changes, that brokenness. We should boast more gladly in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ might be magnified. So for the sake of Christ, let us be content with our own humility, with our own insults we receive, our own hardships, our own persecutions even. Because when we're weak, that's when we're strongest. When we're weak, that's when Christ is most glorified in us. That's when our testimony is the clearest to the world around us. God isn't just a means of satisfying our own desires, but he himself is the end of all godly desires. God wishes for us to find our greatest fulfillment in him. In him alone. There are a lot of people these days looking for power religion. They're looking for power in their words, in their faith, and in their gifts. The gospel, however, shows us that the pathway to joy is humility and brokenness. It's only when all the other idols of our hearts have been crushed that God becomes most magnified in our minds and in our affections. And we receive the greatest blessing of all, which is him, closeness to him. Brokenness precedes blessing because God loves us and wants to teach us to find our greatest satisfaction in him alone. So if he's doing this work in your heart, embrace the change, embrace the humility. Confess we have nothing to offer and that our only hope is in him. It's a gift to be transformed this way. We know that this work is like a refiner's fire, purging all the impurities in our soul and preparing us. He's working on us to make us holy. So on that great day when the work is finished, we will enter the gates of his holy city, leaving everything unclean behind and we will see his face. Be like him and live forever. The work is not done yet, but it is glorious. The famous preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was once asked 
how we can tell a, a person has truly encountered Christ. I'm told he replied, they limp victoriously. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all of the examples in Scripture that you give us to help us to better understand your hand in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for this illustration in Jacob's life to show us that just because we're successful doesn't mean that we're on the pathway to the greatest blessings you have to offer. And that we have to confess who we are. Forsake all of our strength. Forsake all of our plans and strategies and cling to you. And that you are good and loving and will not withhold your blessing to those who come in faith humbly. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning as they leave here and go out into the mission field of their lives this week, Lord, that they reflect upon this truth and be humble and yet like Jacob also persistent in their faith. Lord, let them share the gospel with confidence fading into the background so that the world may see Christ in them. And that's the only explanation for the joy that they have. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for his glory. Amen.